You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Yes. Yes? Well, you sighed. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tim Allen? Uh-huh. Is that what uh-huh. Tim Allen sounds like to you? <laughs> kind of, it sounded like your version. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm Santa now? <laughs> I feel like Tim Allen would be like, no, that does not sound like me. <laughs> but uh, did you watch Home Improvement growing up? I did. I mean, not religiously or right. anything, but yeah, definitely. Every week, every week was family viewing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Y'all gathered around the TV yeah. to watch Tim Allen uh-huh. <laughs> talk to his neighbor's hat. Yes. <laughs> Wilson. Yeah. Yep. Oh. And uh, poor Al, Richard Karn, Did just ever... taking the brunt of all of his, That's right. all the jokes. Did they ever actually fix anything on that show? <laughs> I'm trying to recall well, a time when they were actually No, the gag handy. was that everything went chaotic. Right. You know what I mean? Because he, he was always like, more power. And he would like juice up his drill and it would like, oh. and Al would say, I don't think so, Tim. Mm-hmm. And then he would drill his way right through a wall That's or something. Right, into the kitchen. Yeah. And she'd be like, I'm making something. And then what did you do? Crash through the wall. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. oh, no. And the audience is like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was Can't one of those get enough. dumb I know, laughing <laughs> audience members. 
That's now, good Miku, comedy back in the day. It was day. funny. <laughs> that show was funny. And we're here today, coming back to you to finish up the second half of the story yes. about some early entertainers yeah. who changed the game. Uh, very excited to have you back for this. Yeah. Yeah. Last time we introduced you to George Walker, Burt Williams, and Aida Overton Walker. Mm-hmm. And they were three of the best and brightest to ever grace the vaudeville stage. Amazing. And I hope you fell in love with them the way that I did when yeah. I was reading <laughs> about them. Because I was just like, these hotties are so funny and awesome. <laughs> I love them. Diana's having a real, um, for me, it was like Max and Carlotta, our mm-hmm. regular listeners know, my obsession with them yeah. or um, or Dorothy Putnam. Right. Uh, and just you just get sucked into some of these stories. They just own you oh my God, while you're researching. And that was this for Diana, for sure. Definitely. There, some of these folks we've we've covered. I'm just like, why is this the first time I'm ever hearing about these right. oh, these people? Like, I don't understand why they're right. not huge parts of my history. But, yeah. but, you know, I guess we didn't do a lot of vaudeville history in my public That's education. <laughs> uh, and you're theater history your theater degree didn't? weirdly no not, yeah. not a lot of history needed for that degree well there should be more i agree honestly yeah. but anyway so george bert and aida crushing it last time we left them right yes. they they had just put out their big hit in dahomey uh-huh. which was the very first um, musical to open on broadway entirely written and performed and produced by black people very exciting. Yeah. But they have more shows up their sleeve. Obviously, they have a lot of history to make. We got some drag performances to get to. Ooh. And, of course, some tragedy to overcome. Oh, man. Can we skip that part? I wish. Oh, jeez. All right. So, let us go and hear the rest of the story. All right. Yeah, let's go. Showtime. Hey there, friends. Come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So yeah, when last we left off, we had discovered that In Dahomey kind of helped Williams and Walker develop a formula for their shows. Yeah. And their formula was like, we need to go to somewhere cool. We need big show-stopping chorus numbers. And we need Aida Overton in a lead role uh-huh. because people loved her so much. Right. It's like today being like, if you want to make a billion dollars at the box office, you call Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> And you put him in a khaki shirt and in the jungle somewhere and boom, formula done. I would watch their Jumanji. I would watch the Williams and Walker (laughs) Jumanji. A vaudeville Jumanji or like an early 1900s Broadway Jumanji. Oh, my God. Um, Come on. Someone let me invest in a studio. Jump on board here. Come on. The weird shit that I would green light. You know what I mean? (laughs) Why don't we have an unlimited stack of money? I know. I'd be like, I don't care if this makes $24. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch this This is for me. I'm producing a $100 million musical for myself. For me, damn it. (laughs) And I'm going to watch it once and go, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, all right. And that's it. (laughs) 100 million gone. Somebody give us some money, please. Is that not a compelling argument? We'd like to set it on fire. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Indahomey had just like gotten them international fame, Mm. right? And their next Broadway show was called In Abyssinia, which opened in February 1906. And on BlackWorkBroadway.com, it says that the show is about Walker, George Walker, winning the lottery 
and then taking his dim-witted friend, played by Burt Williams, to the African country of Abyssinia of their ancestors. Abyssinia? Why, we recently talked about that on our episode about Menelik and Taitu, because Abyssinia, also known as Ethiopia. That's right. And... Menelik makes an appearance in oh, this play. Okay. Um, Blackwork Broadway says, quote, the duo's misadventures land them before Abyssinia's ruthless monarch, Menelik, who bangs a gong to determine whether they'll live or die. Three bangs means death. Four indicate life. At the show's climax, after an extremely memorable pause, Menelik banged it a fourth time. Now, you know they got a lot of comedy out of that. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Speaking of Tim Allen, you know that, that would just be a whole long, there'd be a commercial break. Everybody just like on the edge of their seat, like, is he going to bang? Oh, no. <laughs> it's very, it's, uh, I'm thinking about Gladiator and Joaquin oh, Phoenix yeah. with his with his thumb out. Mm-hmm. Is he going to go up or down, up or down? This is interesting that they present Menelik as a ruthless monarch mm-hmm. in this. Of course, we learned in our episode he was anything but. He was just... Uh, he just successfully resisted colonization. Right. And we did learn also in that episode how the Western world really besmirched his and Taitu's name. Mm-hmm. So you can see that coming across even in the States. Yeah. Where people hear about this guy and they're like, oh, this ruthless monarch. Mm-hmm. So even in American black theater, Menelik is still seen as kind of a villain. It's true. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is like George, Burt and Aida, we talked a lot about them pushing back against uh, stereotypes yeah. of black people for white audiences. Right. They knew who they're playing to. Uh-huh. And like, we can maybe change your mind and heart about some things. Right. But they did also touch on a lot of issues within the black community itself. So, sure. for example, um, in, in Dahomey, they're taking a group of people to colonize Dahomey. Yeah. So they were kind of touching on African imperialism like within the black community, not just the white community. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it was interesting how much they were trying to put subtext for everyone, whoever's watching. You know, they were like, every issue in my life, I'm putting it in my art. Yeah. Which I think is cool. I wonder, because I don't have, you know, I haven't read the show. I haven't seen the show, obviously. But in Abyssinia, if they are presenting Menelik as a more ruthless monarch is like a bad person sort of or bloodthirsty or whatever it is the impression i get from this quote mm-hmm. you know that they're they're still americans they're still westerners right. they're still getting the propaganda right. of the western world saying you know it, it kind of uh transcends race at that point and it's like well who am i going to sympathize with not this mm-hmm. brutal murderer who right. is out here banging gongs and telling people whether <laughs> they live and die right which, at least in my research, I never saw happening. I don't think you banged for Menelik. No, that's definitely a, a theatrical device, right? <laughs> <laughs> for comedy purposes only. So again, I don't know how this show actually portrays him, but you could see a lot of Americans and Westerners at the time mm-hmm. were portraying him as you know a pretty bad stereotype, right? And it's really too bad that we can't watch this show. I don't. Right. I don't know that a lot of these scripts and and scores still exist. Like, uh-huh. there's full copies of them anywhere, right? Um, because it would be so cool to see a remount of Seriously. some of these yeah. shows. Like, in, I would love to see Into Homie yeah. sometime. But I wonder if also you're like, well, it's also still 19. Super dated, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're saying some stuff maybe we don't want to say. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, in Abyssinia uh, also featured live camels. Oh. Gotta involve some animals. <laughs> you sell some <laughs> tickets that way. And it included a bit of a love story between Aida, who played... Uh, a princess 
and George's character, which had never been tolerated in a black production before. So this is another boundary they're kind of pushing is they're like, we're normal people. We fall in love and it's fine and cool, (laughs) (laughs) which I love that, too. Yeah. And yeah, it was a huge smash, just like in Dahomey. It was very, very popular show. Even though some white reviewers, like this one in Chicago Tribune, complained that, quote, there is hardly a trace of Negroism in the play. Wow. (laughs) Which is like, you didn't play a stereotype enough for me. That's not how you are. Exactly. I've seen other shows, so I know how you're supposed to be. But George Walker was unrepentant. Good. He told the Toledo Bee in an interview, quote, it's all rot, this slapstick bandana, handkerchief, bladder-in-the-face act with which black acting is associated. It ought to die out, and we are trying to kill it. There you go, George. I know, and I love that he was so... He's like, I'm trying to kill it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that shit, yeah. and it's not going to be in my sh- my shows. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Little worried about those camels, but that's okay. I mean... Uh, early 1900s camel animals in show business in general. Not well-treated. Uh, we'll true. just skim right past it. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Dancing past the darkness. (laughs) Uh, Now, in their next production, they really did push some serious boundaries because in that show, the black folks got one over on the white folks and the white audiences ate it up, loved it. This one was called Bandana Land. And George and Bert played these two businessmen from a realty company who realized that white people's racism can be turned around and used against them. Mm. White people didn't want any black-owned, black-controlled public spaces around them, so the realty company opened a black amusement park called Bandana Land, and it has this huge, noisy party They're like, to celebrate. It's the blackest party you've ever had right. in your life. <laughs> it's like Freaknik uh-huh. <laughs> for 1909. And this made the neighboring company, a white-owned railroad company, so upset and scared that they bought out the property at a highly inflated price. And George and Bert just laugh all the way to the bank. And then, of course, you know, it turns into that bit they always Classic. do where Bert has to get his share of the money from George in this, like, trickster versus dupe comedy. Mm-hmm. But it that's so great that they're like, oh, you won't buy my land? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to convince you you want to buy my land by upsetting you so much for more than you would ever have paid paid normally yeah i mean i love it too that they're just like we're not intending at all to run this park Uh we're we're not intended to do nothing it's totally producers like let's make a show that does so badly Uh (laughs) it's totally that idea In her book, Staging Race, Black Performers in Turn-of-the-Century America, author Karen Sotaropoulos writes that in this show, Williams and Walker are again addressing segregation, white racist stereotypes, and African-American exploitation of those stereotypes for economic gain, which we've talked about before, you know. Williams and Walker were getting a lot of heat from the black community for performing in blackface, for continuing to show these stereotypes to white audiences. They Mm -hmm. were like, you're maintaining this idea of black people for them. Yeah. And their their kind of opinion was like, yeah, but I'm pulling back a little every single time. So I'm kind of bringing them along with me. And I feel like you kind of have to play what white people want to pay for so you know do you do nothing or do you do the bad thing and make some money and get your seat at the table right which is kind of what we talked about last we did we talked about the frustrations of incremental change yes exactly and now like 
so frustrated, just like, just do what I say. <laughs> <laughs> but then you see people, you know, you you go in and make a big demand and everyone just says no and you get then you're left with nothing. So you get nothing. Yeah, yeah, very true. So frustrating. So yeah, this is super tricky because they could push boundaries, but only as far as white people were willing to accept. Uh-huh. As far as white audiences were willing to accept, because otherwise they would be torpedoing their whole business. Yeah. But it seems like most white reviewers did not pick up on this deeper joke of white people being taken advantage of because of their racism, oh, okay. which kind of reminds me of the cakewalk, which yeah, was, of yeah. course, they were satirizing the white masters. Uh-huh. And the white people were like, how good are you? That at looks dancing? like fun. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> insane. Variety wrote that it was, quote, a real artistic achievement representing, as it does, a distinct advancement in black minstrelry, mm-hmm. realizing perhaps that the white public is chronically disinclined to accept this stage Negro in anything but a purely comedy vein and having at the same time a natural desire to be something better than the conventional colored clown. Williams and Walker have approached the delicate subject from a new side. And I like that Variety was like, yeah, I mean, of course they don't want to play that right. insane stereotype all the time. Obviously, right. they want to stretch and grow and be artistically challenged. Yeah. Bandana Land sold out four weeks worth of performances. And the New York Times review wrote that the cakewalk number that they did in it was so insanely popular that it had to be on court 13 times. What? That Exhausted. is crazy. <laughs> like, especially thinking about we said last time they would bend over backwards. Yeah, and like do all kinds of like cane. acrobatic buckets stuff. of water on their head. Uh huh. Thirteen times you had to do that. Jeez. Whatever. They're like, whatever. We're selling a ticket every single time we come. I know, here. right? <laughs> Y'all, it's ten thirty p.m. <laughs> you want us to do it again? All right. Everybody, back go. out on here stage. We go. All right. Well, Bandana Land previewed in nineteen oh seven and opened on Broadway in nineteen oh eight. That same year, George Walker took a significant step in his mission to create a fully funded network of black theater professionals, and he created the charitable organization called The Frogs. There were several clubs and groups like this that were advocating for theater performers to get better wages and more flexible contracts, more performance opportunities, so on, so on. But yeah, apparently it was like studio contracts were where if you were with one theater, you could not go perform at another theater. Like there oh, would wow, be contracts okay, yeah. that you know, confining yeah. or whatever. But there's all these existing groups like the American Actors Beneficial Association or the White Rats Club that didn't allow black members. Mm. Now, the White Rats in particular were like super opposed to the black community and they would boycott shows with black casts and they would refuse to share the stage with black acts. They felt that black people, you know, actually being able to support themselves through their talents and not just, quote, take what they were given (laughs) was a threat to, guess who? White men's prosperity and opportunity. My prosperity. Oh, man. It's, It's funny to see for how long white men have been afraid that their prosperity is going away. And, you know, all this time later, it still isn't. It's still fine. It still ain't. Because there's always a white rat. You know what I mean? That's like, we'll, we'll protect it. Well, but that's not why. Well. <laughs> you know, they just, they like, if there weren't the white rats, they would still have their fucking prosperity. You know well, what I'm saying? yeah, I know. I know what you mean, yeah. I'm just saying it's like, I'm not giving them the credit of saying like, oh, your group has protected it. 
because they had it would be there anyway. No, I just mean because of white supremacy. There's yeah. always someone there to yeah. go ahead and tramp down on whomever is trying to come up. Oh, yeah. But I think you're right. It's just like, even if you weren't trying to tramp down, there would still be plenty of opportunity. I, you know, it's silly to say, make a bigger pie means I get less pie. That's yeah. Not- <laughs> no, I, it's just what I'm saying is, is no matter how long white people, white men especially, have been saying, I'm about to have everything taken away from me. It's never happened. No. It's not going to happen. We're never on the brink of that happening. Right. Um, you know, even with the the largest concessions being made, there's like you said, there's plenty of pie. Um, and some people have more than they will ever be able to eat. Yep. Yep. And it's just rotting. Yeah. <laughs> going to waste. Anyway. Uh, these guys also didn't want uh, any women on stage. Surprise, oh. surprise. Uh, white men only. It's always been kind of the rallying cry. Yeah, they're like, what? Women and black people be encroaching. That's yeah. what they said, which I hate that word. <laughs> I'm like, that's not what's happening. <laughs> oh, my God. But as George himself said, quote, we thought that as there seemed to be a great demand for black faces on stage, we would do all that we could to get what we felt belonged to us by the law of nature. George founded and was elected the first president of the Frogs, and Burt Williams was the second president. And then throughout the 1910s, they would put on these annual parties called the Frolic of the Frogs that was so popular with both white and black people that they were able to tour it to other cities, they donated to other charitable organizations, and they worked to create more professional opportunities for black people, eventually expanding beyond just theater. And they included lawyers and doctors in their membership. So it's incredible. Cool. Yeah. And I really want to go to a Frolic of the Frogs party. Oh, please. That's amazing. Please. Yeah, a bunch of the most talented performers you've ever seen uh, throwing down, having a great time with a bunch of people who just want to support performers uh, and, and talent. It must be said, the fashion was had to oh, be on point. God. You know they were so dressed to the yeah. nines. They yeah. probably looked incredible, every single person there. Yeah. Just... I don't like to get dressed up that much, but sometimes I wish that we still had those vibes. We're like, we're going out. Right. So it's time to look nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Instead of like, I'm going out, I will wear my house slippers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me change into my other tuxedo for dinner, <laughs> and then I'll have my dessert tuxedo on standby. And then I'll put on my special jacket to go get undressed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my dressing gown. <laughs> I also love George's quote about black faces on stage because he's like, y'all are putting on this blackface makeup to play black right. people. You want to see black people. So yeah. by the law of nature, black people should maybe be playing that. <laughs> we should maybe be the ones, you know, <laughs> I really like that. Seriously. But tragedy struck in 1909. Oh, no. George Walker, that suave charmer, that ladies man. He had been stepping out on Aida with other women. No. No, George. And his messing around got him a case of syphilis. Oh, no. Which at the time had no cure. He actually collapsed on stage from a stroke in the middle of a Bandana Land show. Oh, no. But the show must go on. Oh, wow. So Aida simply put on George's classy gentleman's outfit. Oh, damn. And performed his part in drag. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, Look, George, uh, you know, a talented performer, like you said, show's got to go on. That's right. You're going to get up. You're going to do it. And she's like, who knows George better than me? Yeah, I'm true. his wife. 
That's true. I can mimic that motherfucker all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know what he sounds like. do I? (laughs) (laughs) She adds a couple extra little choice phrases in there. Yeah, and he was sick enough that he actually, he did have to leave the production for good. He could not come back to Bandana Land. But Aida's rendition was so delightful and popular with audiences that they just kept on doing George's part in drag for the rest of the run. What's the show we were just talking about? We had an episode recently about uh, women in drag performing and people losing their minds about it over in Austria, right? Oh my God, what? Right? What was that? What the fuck was it? Hang on. I swear we know our own subjects. Ah! Uh, let's see. It was um the the Fraulein Sister Jan. Sister Jan. <laughs> Sorry. Betty the uh J- Jesse Carmichael Brenda. Wait. Brenda. <laughs> Gus, Gussie Beryl Austrian. It was a, they, they did a show. It was the mummy, the mummy thing, right? Oh, it was Colette. It was, right. Colette. it was Colette. It was Colette. Okay. Right? Yeah, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It was Brenda and Jan, you know, and Colette. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. No, what was right. it? She... Exactly. Yeah. Well, she, it was when she and Missy were in the, that place in together. In that place, yes. And Missy was dressed as the gentleman archaeologist. She was wearing pants and people lost their minds. Right. And they were already upset and then they kissed oh, on my stage God. and everyone was like, oh, it's shit. And they had to shut down the whole production <laughs> and everything. So... We weirdly, that was around the same time as this. Yeah, but I, I guess because say. Aida's dressed as a man but not kissing anyone. Yeah, sure, it's sure. It's like a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> also, probably played. Well, I guess probably not played so much for a laugh because she's just playing his part. Well, but it is a comedy show. Yeah, yeah. So um, she did do his his part. A little easier to get away with it in comedy. Stuff. People are always a little more forgiving. That That's kind very of stuff, true. You know. That's very true. And it's so funny how drag has been such a part of theater history. I mean, you know, women used to not be allowed on stage. Right. You had so to do drag. men were in drag playing yeah. the ladies' parts. And that's why those Shakespeare comedies where it's men dressed as women, dressed as men, dressed as women uh-huh. are always so funny. Because yeah. it's all the way back to a man. <laughs> you keep going back to it. The layers are hilarious. Um, but anyway, it's so funny how prudish people get over yeah. time when we we're, we feel like we're getting so much more progressive, oh but actually we're regressing in some ways. I mean, the clothing thing, it's it, and it it's still obviously it's around now as people are bending gender and clothing a lot. Right. But this idea of like you're not supposed to wear pants, you're a woman, like it's not natural. And I'm like, natural is naked. Okay, None of us true. supposed to be wearing anything. Very true. And who wants that? Not <laughs> who me. said. Who said men wear pants and women don't wear pants? Mm-hmm. Who, that, was, that is made up. That came out of somebody's imagination. And we just were like, yes, that'll work for a while. And now we're like clinging to it like it's the last door on the Titanic. Yeah. And we're like, we can't both fit on here, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that um, like high heels uh-huh. were a... Uh, Totally men's fashion. Right. I've heard that. For a very long time. Yeah. And then women started wearing them. So men were like, never mind. <laughs> or brewing beer used to be solely no kidding. a thing for women. Oh, to wow. Do. But as soon as it became a commercial enterprise, men only. Oh, well, yeah. Or cooking. Yeah. As women... soon as it was being paid well, it was a men thing exactly. to do. Women, women belong in the kitchen unless you're getting paid and for then, it. And then it should be men. Then it's art and it's a guy's thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like stuff like that where you, you go back far enough and you see these turns of like 
who was making money off of it or women started. So men stopped or women were doing it. And then men started and women had to stop because, you know, like yeah. it's just such a weird we, we don't know what women and men are supposed to do. That's the thing. No. It's always been different. We should all just do whatever the fuck we it's want. It's entirely made up. <laughs> <laughs> we made all that shit up. <laughs> Honestly, the words women and men are made up words. True. They don't mean anything. All words are made up. <laughs> all words are made up. It's like, damn, good point. <laughs> well, sadly, though, George was actually sick enough from syphilis that he had to leave theater for good. Oh, no. Um, he stepped down from the frogs. That's when Burt Williams stepped up to be president. Uh-huh. But it spelled the end of the Williams and Walker Company because mm. George Walker was the businessman. He was the savvy one going yeah. out, getting the deals and making things happen. And right. Burt was like a great performer, but he was not trying to do all that. Yeah. Aida was not trying to do all that. So they kind of said, well, here goes that. Without George, we don't have this company. And in 1911, George Walker passed away at only 38 years oh, old. Oh, man tragically young can you yeah. imagine what he would have done if he lived to 60 oh right I, I mean i can't because i feel like he would have just changed so many things yeah. he was just so, such a force against stereotypes and he was so outspoken in a way that bert was not that it would have been really cool to see him yeah see him live a little longer and get through more of more of the 1900s but fellas if you're out there running around on your wife <laughs> You might get syphilis and die and not change the world more than you otherwise would have. Yeah, fellas, so, watch out. Come on. <laughs> watch Keep out for together. that syphilis. <laughs> I do. I don't know if you got any info on this, but I noticed in here we don't suggest that Aida got syphilis. I did wonder about it. So, I did. Speculation Station, they weren't sleeping together. Maybe not. Maybe things weren't so so hot at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I mean, it yeah. might be that his stepping out, yeah. he was like, well, then you don't come home to me right right but it's hard with especially with i think with black performers because they don't want to put out their business right they're like we need to show a respectable married couple that's doing great oh right right otherwise it's going to feed into everything you already think about every black person in the world and i so you know i don't think they there is a lot of personal Anything written by Aida herself about like my marriage is going poorly or I wish George wouldn't cheat on me or I'm fine with George cheating on me. We're married for business reasons. I mean, I don't know um, because she never remarried either. So Mm. maybe she wasn't that interested in being married. Right. I mean, (laughs) well, after this. possible too. Yeah. Now, at the time of his death, George Walker, Burt Williams and Aida Overton Walker were described by the Boston Guardian as being, quote, the most popular trio of black actors in the world. Amazing. Which is quite an achievement. But now that George is gone, Bert and Aida would have to forge their own performance paths. All right. And so we will find out what they did without George. Right after these messages from our wonderful sponsors, Ace Soap. If you want to be clean, <laughs> use Ace Soap. <laughs> How did they used to do SponCon? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, try Toxic Tarnish, the best thirst-quenching drink you can imagine. (laughs) It's full of toxic poison. (laughs) Drink up, feel good. Are you dragging around 3 p.m.? Well, you need cocaine. Here's a whole bottle of cocaine. Drink it up, ladies. (laughs) You'll feel amazing and thinner than ever. (laughs) If your feelings got you down, try electrocuting yourself. And all your troubles will disappear in a puff of smoke <laughs> from the top of your head. Shock away your hysteria. <laughs> oh, products. We've come so far. <laughs> oh, products. 
lead. It's what's for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) True. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome back to the show, everyone. So after George's death, Bert went back to the high-class vaudeville stages. Mm -hmm. But even though he was a huge box office draw, those guys, the White Rats Club pressured theater managers to reduce Burt's billing from top billing to second billing. That was their whole thing. It's like, well, fine. If he's the most famous guy in the world, I at least don't want him at the top of the marquee. So petty. So petty. So petty. Now, the first time they did this, it worked just like they wanted. Mm -hmm. They took Burt's name from the top. They put it down below, you know, just trying to Uh just trying to reduce him. Literally. Yes, very just, true. You know, both probably try and break his spirit mm-hmm. and also just like diminish his celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, and bunch of nasty stuff. Sort of a very, very underhanded message to say it doesn't matter how rich and famous you yeah. are. You'll just be a black man to me, yep. which means you're below me. Yep. I don't care if I'm a brand new performer. I'm better than you. Right, right. Ugh. But then... Bert got booked at Hammerstein's Victoria Theater, who the White Rats also pressured to produce his billing. Now, the Victoria also acquiesced. They said, all right, we'll put Bert's name second. But on the marquee, 
they made Bert's name twice as large as the headliner. <laughs> That's my kind of sabotage. Uh-huh. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, you go through... History, like like World War II has so many good examples of this. Uh-huh. Like, I know that I live in a fascist regime, regime in Italy, um, but I'm just going to do my job really shitty, uh-huh. really shitty and make sure <laughs> the trains don't run on time or I'll fuck up this passport or <laughs> just little ways to, I love, to just, rebel. I love it. They're just like, oh, yeah, this show starring Shad Michelson and Bert Williams. <laughs> <laughs> like, really uh, just putting it out there. Uh, they're like, we know who you're buying a freaking ticket for. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay, white rats. We'll mm-hmm. go ahead and put his name second. Oh, we don't want to hurt the little baby feelings. Oh, why don't you take a popsicle and go <laughs> run around outside? <laughs> oh, you pooped your pants. Oh, no. Oh, you no. pooped again. You pooped your- oh, did the little fascist Nazi <laughs> poop his pants. <laughs> So Bert then got cast in Zigfield's Follies, big famous show. And before him, that was an all-white cast. And many of that all-white cast told Zigfield to fire Williams or they would walk out of the show. Mm -hmm. To which Mr. Zigfield coolly replied, quote, I can replace every one of you except Williams. Okay, hello. Uh-huh. We're talking about the most famous man in the world. Yeah, and y'all are all literally replaceable. Who oh, the fuck are you? where else will I find a white performer mm. in New York City? Like, let me throw a rock. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> and guess what? The cast stayed put. Ain't mm. none of them walked. That's right. But there were other difficulties. They found their own ways to make life harder for Bert. Subtle sabotage works both ways. The Follies writers were slow to give Bert anything to do at all. In one show, they only gave him a single two-word line of dialogue. Mm. So, Bert wasn't going to take this sitting down. He teamed up with a white comedian named Leon Errol, and they wrote a sketch that became a 20-minute centerpiece and one of the best love sketches in the show. Mm. And their partnership was, like, shocking at the time because Bert's character delivered most of the punchlines and usually got the better of Leon's character. That's just totally unheard of it would have been the other way around in any black and white comic duo Mm -hmm. if there was any, if there even was one exactly exactly now after that bert got a record deal with columbia and not only did he get very generous contract terms but they also dropped this super racist tone that they'd been using to promote black performers and instead they touted bert's quote inimitable art and direct appeal to the intelligence yeah another just another way of people being like this guy's different which is still fucked up but it's like (laughs) he was definitely like rising above the times for sure he also became the first black comedian to appear on film this was 1914 and he starred in several silent films throughout the 1910s tim brooks in his book Lost Sounds, Blacks, and the Birth of the Recording Industry, wrote, quote, Williams had become a star who transcended race to the extent that was possible in 1910. Caveat, to be sure. (laughs) Very much a caveat. And the extent was not extensive enough. Right. Because Bert suffered from chronic depression and alcoholism. 
thanks to the racism that he experienced daily, it made him feel really isolated. Sure, sure. Um, Of course, we're talking about segregated America. So when he was touring with the Follies, he had to eat and travel separately from the rest of the cast. God. At one point, I think they even had a strike and no one told him. So he showed up for work and he was the only one there. Uh. Nobody told him. Um, one time he went to a bar and the guy was like, we don't serve black people. If you want to drink, it'll be $50. Jeez. And Bert pulled out a huge roll of money. He was like, I'm <laughs> buying for everybody then, you know, wow. like, you know, try me. Right. But like, why do I have to fight well, everywhere exactly. I go? Exactly. God, so exhausting. And Bert was not a fighter. He was not that type of person. Yeah. You know, he was just like a very reserved guy. He didn't want to be uh, having conflict everywhere he went. Hello. He has dedicated his life to making people laugh. laugh. Exactly. Come on. And playing music and singing. Right. I mean, the guy wanted to spread joy. And everywhere yeah. he goes, he's getting like tramped on. And yeah, he continued to be the highest paid black entertainer in the business, but he would consistently get subpar material to work with. Wow. W.C. Fields, who worked with Bert in the Follies, once said that Bert was, quote, the funniest man I ever saw on stage and the saddest man I ever knew off of it, Ugh. which makes me very sad. Heartbreaking. In February 1922, Bert was sick with pneumonia. And like George, he collapsed on stage during a performance, which the audience thought was a comedy bit. And Bert quipped, quote, that's a nice way to die. They was laughing when I made my last exit. (laughs) And he passed away only a month later at 47 years old. Still Uh, too young, in my opinion. He was mourned by thousands and remembered as being one of the greatest comedians and recording artists of all time. Yeah. And we did not get too much into Bert, but there's much more to learn about him. So oh, yeah. look him up for sure yeah. and listen to his song. Nobody is a big song that he did and stuff. He's yeah. very, very cool person to learn about. I thought brave of you to say that 47 years old is too young in your opinion. Just in because my I know there's a lot of people out there like, nah, forty yeah. pretty good. That's a good run. <laughs> he had a good run. <laughs> I honestly I never thought anybody should live past 49. <laughs> Shut up already. He leaves up for the rest of us. <laughs> But we still got Aida to talk about. That's right. Because her life after George died often is treated as just a footnote, Mm -hmm. as if like her career died off with George. But in fact, she only got more famous and beloved. She basically became like the Beyonce of her time. Literally. She was the queen. (laughs) She choreographed all the time for musical theater shows. She continued to perform herself. And besides Bert, she was the only black artist regularly performing in white venues. Now, at this point, thanks to rising costs of like transportation and the popularity of movies, touring theater companies were on the decline. And one of the largest black troops remaining was the Smart Set Company. And that's who Aida joined in their show, His Honor the Barber. (laughs) She was billed as a supporting actress, but all the reviewers agreed that she was basically the real star of the show. I mean... We're here to see Aida. <laughs> yeah. Critic Sylvester Russell wrote that, quote, she is the dominant feature of the show and the box office attraction. Without her last season, there would have been no box office attraction. She is a superior artist. Uh, he straight up said the entire box office was nothing was, going was on in it. Yeah. Except for her. Yeah. I love that. He's like, <laughs> he's like if she had been in a play, nobody would have gone to see. Right. <laughs> in the show, she reprised her drag number impersonating George. And she sang a song called That's Why They Call Me Shine. And it is name dropped in nearly every review of this show as the highlight. Mm-hmm. Sylvester Russell wrote that, quote, 
Her male creation was so clever and natural of the style of her husband that the audience went wild with enthusiasm. Uh, the Chicago Defender wrote, quote, All the people who ventured out to see the smart set company were drawn there to see Mrs. Walker, the most fascinating and vivacious female comedy actress the Negro race has ever produced. Her male specialty held the audiences spellbound. Certainly, there are no other stars in the smart set company while she is on stage. Mm, I love that. Yes, ma'am. I mean, it's not only this, but she's like, she's bringing back George. And it shows I you how beloved this. he was. Yeah. And everyone was like, I, I get to at least kind of experience him again because she's so good at doing him. Yeah. That's I so was about great. to say that too. Yeah. Just like that she's keeping George alive yeah. in a way with his his she also did a song called Bon Bon Buddy. Yeah. So it was like a big part of her vaudeville act. She would always do George. And I think that's really just a lovely tribute. It is. Kind of keep his yeah. name in people's minds and that's so cool. Although I wonder if everyone else in the smart set company was like, well, geez, <laughs> I thought I did pretty good, but all right. <laughs> uh, you know, my husband died 10 years ago, too, actually. <laughs> Nobody seems to care about that. I could impersonate him, but he's a big piece of shit. <laughs> Nobody cares. Lucky her. <laughs> Nobody wants to see my husband. <laughs> and I hate to stop us there, but we've got to go to a commercial. So don't go away. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. 
I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we're back. Aida was such a superstar at this point that she was able to realize her own dream. Inspired by her early role model, Ciceretta Joyner-Jones of Black Patty fame, Uh of forming her own vaudeville company. cool. Um, She had one male partner named LaKay Grant and eight female dancers in this company. And the Broad Axe wrote in September 1911 that she was getting top billing on vaudeville stages and the highest pay, quote, keeping pace with Burt Williams. Oh. And in an article for Yale University's Black Axe Archive, Wells Thorne writes that this was, quote, no mean feat as Williams was otherwise unrivaled among the Black theatrical community in prestige, popularity, and income. Her prominent place on the bills is also indicative of a high degree of star power. Burt Williams never received top billing until the fall of 1914. So she's, I mean, crushing it in every way. Right. And she then blew everyone's minds. In 1912, when she announced that she would be performing the popular Salome opera Dance of the Seven Veils at Hammerstein's Victoria Theater. I know that one. Yeah, right? Heard of that? There was like a Bugs Bunny thing for that or something. (laughs) See, I was educated. I got a good education from Bugs Bunny. (laughs) I'm saying Looney Tunes, in terms of cultural education, who knew about opera because of Bugs Bunny? Yeah, hello. Over anything else. Right. Good old bugs. Thank I, you. you know? I didn't know anything about duck season nor rabbit season <laughs> before I watched Looney Tunes. Elmer Fudd was a real teacher for me. <laughs> now, Aida's version of this dance had premiered in Bandana Land in 1907, but this would be the first performance of it for white audiences. And the, this dance was sexually charged and titillating. Oh. It actually caused the Met Opera to shut down Salome after a single oh my night. God. They were like, too sexy for the Met. Wow. And that naturally kicked off a Salomania craze all over vaudeville because, of course, yeah. everyone wants to see a show that you can't after one night because it's too sexy. They're like, let me check that shit out. <laughs> so for white women who performed this dance, they would be as sexy and risque as possible with it. And it would kind of show how modern they were. You know, they're okay, modern, yeah. new century women. Right. And they right. were able to, like, hike up their skirt a little more. <laughs> show your world to me. But, of course, Aida knew that she could not perform that the same way. Because right. black women in general and black actresses in particular were already seen as, like, oversexed and immoral and Aida believed that performing arts could combat stereotypes. We've seen that throughout exactly. her whole career. She wrote in 1905, quote, I venture to think and dare to state that our profession does more toward the alleviation of color prejudice than any other profession among black people. Which I think is true because, again, you're touring around. So you get to see a lot of people and yes. present to them a different story. I right. mean, the world is so much about stories we're telling ourselves. Right. And so it's really I think that's so powerful that she recognized how much. Yeah. I mean, all three of them did. Yeah. And it, well, your geography can do so much to shape your worldview mm-hmm. because you're so limited in your experiences sometimes that's or you true. never see people who don't look like you. So all you have to go on is the stories you've been and told right. and taught. Mm-hmm. And so then a touring show comes to town and you watch it and you're like, oh, these are wonderful people doing right. an amazing thing. Maybe I should rethink the nonsense that I've been <laughs> taught my whole life. Right. 
So she's looking at the existing stereotypes and she's seeing the power of performance, but she knows that she couldn't present an erotic dance like white performers could. Right. Right. So instead, she created this dramatic character piece out of it. Mm. And she would convey the thoughts and the emotions of the Salome character. Wells Thorne writes, quote, The performance of classical dance by a black woman on a concert stage shared by white actors was considered controversial and even shocking. Certain types of high art, such as drama and classical dance, were at the time off-limits to African-Americans, who were thought to be better suited to lower entertainments, such as comedy and ragtime. Now, of course, a lot of people were opposed to this performance, but money talks. Mm -hmm. And after a single performance, her engagement was extended from one to three weeks making her the first black woman to be accepted as a classical high art dancer and choreographer. That's That's right. Incredible. Um, A, just the reinterpretation is brilliant. Oh, that's something that if I just saw two performers do side by side today, I'd be like, oh, wow, look at this sexy seven veils dance. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. I can't imagine it any other way. Mm -hmm. And then some brilliant person comes out and is like, actually, I'm redoing this as a dramatic character piece. I'd be like, Damn! I know. Where'd you right? come up with that? Yeah. That is clever and brilliant, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I love, I mean, I love re-genrefying things, mm-hmm. you know, turning stuff on its head. That's that's so fun. It's like cover songs, you know? Yeah. Totally. Like I want to hear a country version of this song or whatever. <laughs> I love that stuff. Or when they recut a trailer to make it look like a horror movie. Right, yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then taking something like this and then like utilizing it for such a cultural purpose mm-hmm. beyond just your own reinterpretation. There's actual like I'm I'm I have a serious, valuable message to send with this, too. Yeah. And I'm undermining your existing stereotypes by Mm -hmm. presenting you with something you weren't expecting. There's so much to it. It's genius. And I have the talent to choreograph this dance and to blow your fucking mind with it and pull it off. And you can't deny me. The talent to choreograph it and to perform it. Right. Jeez. That's all three of them were like, I'm just going to be so good that yeah. you can't deny me. Right. You simply can't. Right. That is all there is to it. Right. You can try all you want, but they're going to put my name bigger than yours. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Uh-huh. Now, her next ambition was to produce her own vaudeville show. So she had her own company and she's appearing in other shows, but she wanted to like actually do the lineup herself, get the space, you know, handle that. Her own vaudeville show. And she premiered her show in Chicago with a company of 12. Now, the Chicago Defender wrote in their review, quote, Here were arrayed the cream of vaudevillians headed by the divine Aida. There is but one thing that is a bit disappointing, and that is that she doesn't appear often enough on the bill. Wow. And this reviewer, Alfred Anderson, said that Aida was, quote, the last word in the realms of our dramatic art. And also pointed out that her talents had not faded over the years. Quote, how her art endures and passes the acid test of changing moods and fickle calls. She commands our admiration and highest praise. She was also being frequently invited to prominent white gatherings to teach them dances that they could do at their parties. (laughs) I love it. 
And I love this idea of a bunch of white people being like, listen, ladies, gentlemen, I'm very excited to tell you that we have the one and only Aida Overton Walker here, and she's going to teach us all a really fun dance that we can do together. I am so excited because now my party is the hit of the season. <laughs> you can just imagine them all like learning their little TikTok oh dance my God. from her. Gerald, am I doing it right? <laughs> You look smashing, honey. <laughs> She's terrible. I probably. Aida's yeah. just like, great. Yeah, nope, that's right. Maybe lift your foot up a little bit. Uh, no, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. You, hey, you're doing a great you, job. You, you. Uh, you, I'll, I'll, I'll take cash, please. I, yeah. Thank you. And I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> but I love, too, that it was like such a thing for white hostesses that like they were like, if my party is going to be really cool and people are going to be talking about my party. I got to have Aida come and teach us a fun dance. Right. different and special, and it really makes me stand out. Right, right. Probably some exploitation going on there. Well, Probably sure. some hints of that, but yeah. Definitely, no, yeah. definitely. I mean, she wasn't invited to the party. Right. So, right. there is that. Now, not only was she going to these parties to teach dances and make their parties cooler, But Aida was also keeping the Williams and Walker dream alive to create more opportunity and prosperity for black performers. Awesome. Now, at this point, the Frogs was still going strong, helping black men, who was their main membership. Right. So Aida put her focus on black women. There you go. According to an article by David Sorin and the University of Arizona's website, she raised a lot of money for the Industrial Home for Colored Working Girls, which was a place that helped black women who were new to New York find lodging and employment. Okay. Because a lot of times you show up in New York and you're a woman alone. You're exploited by the first person of who course. finds you, yeah. you know, and that could just fuck up your whole life. Hey, honey, you want to be a star? Like to, right? Come with me. Or like the the only job you can find is at the shit factory, you know, uh-huh. whatever. Yeah. Hey, honey, you want to be a star? Come with me. Start folding these boxes. Right. <laughs> Any day now. Uh-huh. You'll make it to Broadway. <laughs> We're going to call you next week about an audition. Right. And yeah, Aida would help them find theater jobs. And she also produced and choreographed shows for emerging black dance troops to showcase their original creative talent. So, again, I think that was part of part of the impetus to put together her own vaudeville show was to be able to put on the bill. Look, these are young girls that, that are doing something cool. Yeah. Let me lend my star power to them. Right. And get them going, you know. So cool. I love that. Regular Reese Witherspoon. She started I was thinking a production about, company. I was thinking about Denzel paying for Chadwick's uh, oh, schooling and stuff yeah. like that, where it's like, just, I want, I want to bring up more talent. It's not just about me. Yeah. I, I want, I want you to see that it's widespread in my community that black people are very talented and yeah. we've got a lot to offer and, you know, you're limited in your thinking and I have to show you over and over and over again, which is a little tiresome. Right. I wish we'd just learn the fucking lesson, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what it kind of made me think of. Definitely. And thank God he did that. I love Chadwick. He did so many good shows. Oh God. Ma Rainey. Oh, so good. Uh, George Walker, you know, thinking about Chadwick uh, a lot because actually Burt Williams, too. Nobody knew Burt was sick. Um, oh, when right. he was sick, he just kept it to himself and kept working, oh, man. which reminded me a lot about Chadwick because he was like, let me just I know I've got us, you know, my time is short and I want to get as much in there as I can get. I don't want anybody yeah. holding me back or not offering things because they think I'm going to go in the middle of it or something. Ugh. like. I'm going to just do everything I can do. Oh, it's so. Oh, it's so much. Oh, I know when it's Black so Panther 2 comes out, I will cry. I will. I'm cry. that trailer. I mean, just I cried at the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> 
and again, even even that, I mean, you know, we're Marvel heads here, but mm-hmm. like we said, we watched we watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom what during the pandemic, I yeah. think, mm-hmm. and I was just like so upset. I was like, it's it you know reminded me a lot when Heath Ledger died, mm-hmm. when you're like, because a few years earlier. I did not know about Chadwick Boseman a few years before Heath Ledger. I didn't think much of him. You know, I was like, I didn't like a knight's tale. And I thought he was just like the pretty boy Uh doing stuff. But by the time he died, he had been cranking out. Both of them had given such intense and incredible performances. And you're like, I just want to see where this go. I mean, you know, for a really crude comparison, it's like your favorite show getting canceled. And you're Mm -hmm. like, I really wanted to see what season six of this was like, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously it's a person's life. So it's different than that. But that sort of thing. Or just like, I just wanted to see what was next. Yeah, It was going to be I was going to enjoy it. That was going to be a positive experience in my life. Yeah. And I'll never get it. Mm -hmm. So much to offer. And we only got very short window and I'm glad I'm glad we got what we got yeah you know I can't imagine sometimes I just think about how tired he must have been I mean you stage four cancer and he's on a set you know for fucking 12 hours 14 hours I mean yeah and and people really I guess didn't know so he was not only giving you a good performance but he was performing on top of that performance that he was okay to give that performance right right I mean I just uh blown away by Chadwick Boseman. I do cry when I think about him because he just so many good projects and cool things and Mm -hmm. great stories that we no longer get to have about him, unfortunately. And going back to George, you know, similarly, uh, people were in love with him. Like people were so struck with his talent Mm -hmm. and the shows he's putting out. And he was clearly doing a lot for the industry Yeah, uh, and really like bringing something new to the table and then he's taken away too soon, uh, maybe a little more by his own <laughs> behaviors. <laughs> but um, but even still, you know, how heartbreaking for his fans and yeah. the people who cared about him and looked up to him and were inspired by him is like, uh, that's all I got. Right. Um, you know, which again comes back to what must have been so wonderful about seeing Aida perform as him. Yeah. True. I love it. True. I love it. And it's likely that we would all be a lot more familiar with Aida Overton-Walker's name and talent if she, like George, had not passed away tragically young. Because, of course, she was a lot younger than him. But in 1914, she was only 34 years old when she died suddenly of kidney failure. And she was widely mourned as having died before reaching the height of her career, much like a lot of the people we've been talking about. Chicago Defender wrote, quote, She died young before her star had reached its zenith. And the Philadelphia Tribune said that she remained, quote, in a class by herself, second to none in her line of work. Writer N.H. Jefferson wrote, quote, Through all of the obstacles that confronted her and the misfortunes that befell her, success always crowned her efforts. Mm. And I think just like we're feeling right now, she always left audiences wanting more yeah yeah i mean i sure do and that like like to your point it's not just about the performances that were lost and the plays that were lost uh-huh. because all of these folks died younger than they should have yep. but the changes to the industry oh that they God. would have made i mean imagine if they had managed if they had lived to to be 70 80 years yeah. old 
the things they could have done right. within theater with yeah. the power that they had. Yeah. I mean, and who knows? Like, we've seen hubris take down many a character sure. through history. Sure. So who knows? They might have got too cocky or um, become assholes in some way or yeah. something. Yeah. But, you know, if, if they were anything like this, I just feel like they could have made some real intense changes to right. that industry long before they they actually came around yeah. eventually right where would be where would we be today right or maybe they would have moved to picture you know talking pictures right. and started doing some of that stuff yeah like uh, who knows but it would have been great to see bert um get to a point where he didn't have to wear blackface anymore i know um, to perform because he wore blackface in the silent films as well oh wow because that's what i guess people are just used to seeing him that way so like, that's my character. So strange to me. But yeah, that is the story of George Walker and Ida Overton Walker and Burt Williams and vaudeville at the turn of the century. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so as very often is the case in this show, I knew so little, very little about yeah, this same. that I'm, I, you know, I know. There's only so many school days in a year. Right. There's only so many minutes per class. You got to go from war to war. Right. Jeez. <laughs> Somebody couldn't have met, dropped these names at some point, been like, hey, go go look these people up. Yeah, check it out. Uh, this is what this is what biopics are for, <laughs> you know? Seriously. Uh, a loose version of some a fascinating person's life that you can then go read up on and say, well, that wasn't very accurate. But now I know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Put out the biopic so that I can then read the Medium article about all the things that got wrong. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for that's in my the, content. That's an education, <laughs> you know? Let's open our school. <laughs> we'll watch 42, <laughs> but then you have to go read about Jackie. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Well, um, this is so great. I wonder, too, I was going to ask earlier when we were talking about how she just outshined everyone and mm-hmm. had so much more success in her business. And there's got to be an element, too, of just like, well, was there room for more than one mm-hmm. black woman star in right. that industry? Like, right. it not not an, any fault of her own, but like it was going to be one person at most. Just, at, you know, times. just it, it was, that she had to be so impressive just to break into that position mm-hmm. uh, didn't mean that there weren't other people probably as talented as she was. Um you know, but it's just like, well, we've already, how many people were probably told we've already got an Aida. Right. You know, right. Sorry. Yeah. I don't care what you can do. We've already got one, um, which often happens still today. I mean, in, in many cases, not just in terms of race or anything like that, but just, right. just uh, you know, you'll yeah, you'll have agents tell you, like, I already got somebody who looks like, yeah, I've had so many people say we've already got a Paul Rudd, you know, and they send me pack. And, wow. Um, what what's that face, Diana? What is it that you made a face? Wow, they call you Paul Rudd. They huh? said they said we've already got a Paul Rudd. <laughs> I was talking to Paul Rudd's agent, <laughs> and he said, oh, "I'd love to help you out, but I already got a guy who looks just like I got you. an Ant Man." <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But I know I was thinking about like Dax. Was it Dax Shepard talking uh-huh. about um, him and Zach Braff? Zach Braff. Yeah. And. Was there a I'm third sure there's other guys. I don't know, but it, he was just like, you know, a tall guy with brown hair. Yeah. Oh, here we come again. Uh-huh. <laughs> his he said his mom thought that Zach Braff was him on a billboard. Right. She like called him and I was like, oh, I saw you on a billboard. He's like, Mom, that's Zach Braff. <laughs> wow, his own mom. That's his hilarious. Own mom. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Yeah. I guess I've just always kind of thought about that in terms of how we rate 
famous actors as the greatest actors. Like we really default to that. Like, mm. oh, the best actor, right? Oh, Andrew Garfield is just doing things. No one says the you know what? What? Pick a name, right. pick a year, and mm-hmm. so he's the best actor in the world right now. And I'm like, there's probably some kid uh, or, or some some grown person in a small town in Michigan who is the best actor in the world. Mm-hmm. And you know, but maybe this person doesn't want to be an actor or right. something, or it's just never never tried to do anything but the community theater they do. <laughs> right. And we're all missing it because it's you know it's just such a silly thing to. uh, quantify yeah so true and how can you it's so subjective right right? oh yeah well that's the best is so dependent on what you like and what you what speaks to you and all that kind of that's why i wish the oscars would do i wish that they would do the emmys thing and say outstanding performance by an actor and not best actor because that's how do you come on i know seriously i know you want to put Denzel up against Jack Black and I don't think Jack Black's ever been nominated for best actor. You know what I mean though. But why not? Like what <laughs> What what's the comparison? Well, yeah, I mean, what in School of Rock, Jack Black gave such an incredible performance. He really did. But it's the Hilarious kind of but it's touching. the but it's the kind of performance that you wouldn't give an Oscar to even right. though he probably achieved what he was going for better mm-hmm. than some actors in some intense drama that make you weep, you know, like, right. I don't know. Anyway, well, that's a whole just, different conversation. A lot of actors say that they're like, they find comedy so much harder oh, yeah. than drama. Yeah. But it is not at all respected yeah. on the same level as dramatic acting um, yeah. to be able to, the timing and the delivery and everything about comedy is so invisible. Yeah. And it's, you only notice it when it's not doing it right. <laughs> I, uh, Where I think I used to say like dramas don't have to make you cry right. to be good, but a comedy has to make you laugh. Yeah. And it's just yeah. two different things that people can't quantify it the same way. I, as an actor myself, find them equally effortless. Oh, um, of course. Which is why, again, it, it, you know, why it's, it's hard. It's hard for me and Paul Rudd to exist <laughs> in the same industry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we get by. Who am I like? We get by. Who are you like? Well, obviously, especially when you were younger, mm-hmm. you got the Sissy Spacek thing. Yeah, just once, but just, just once or twice. But you, you guys shared a look. Yeah, when you had long hair, right? And, right, and when right. She, from her when she would like Carrie era, mm-hmm. like y'all, y'all definitely were like in a category together. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I think of you as a very um, you know Angelina Jolie oh. uh, meets um, meets. Um, Kristen Shawl meets um, <laughs> meets um, yeah, like Lupita Nyong'o, you know. Wow, awesome! Yeah, yeah somewhere in there is wow, you. Wow, those are some good names. Yeah, Thanks, babe. Yeah, but just a dash of like Gary Busey. <laughs> Whoa! Because you got that crazy. Too. Now I'm going back. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> you got that crazy in your eyes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. I did play a cult leader once, and I was pretty proud of it. You were a great cult leader. Very and I've seen you played an old man several times. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. And I have big teeth, so. There you go. Gary Busey You're all Basically, over. I remember your agent saying, uh, we've already got <laughs> a Gary, got Gary Busey. Busey. <laughs> I was like, hello, can I please perform? And they were like, sorry, girl. <laughs> sorry. I've already got Gary, although he's in big trouble right now. True. Um, and it's, I don't think it's the first time. Anyway. No, I don't want to talk about Gary yep. Busey. <laughs> I also don't want to be anything like Gary Busey. <laughs> so 
we will have a conversation off mic about that. I'm just kidding. No, record everything. Well, in, in that case. It's what people want to hear. Let's throw down. How dare you, sir? I'm not taking it back. Wow. I got my heels in. <laughs> I said, if if Angelina Jolie, Kristen Schaal, and Lupita Nyong'o, the, the three points of the Triforce, <laughs> don't offset... <laughs> The Gary, the dash of Gary Busey, then I don't know what to tell you. I guess. <laughs> I guess I'll accept the dash of Gary Busey. <laughs> You're right, you will. Jeez, this is it. You know, I do such nice things. And then one little thing. That little Gary Busey. undoes it all. Really gets me. <laughs> Jeez. I cook every meal in this house. That's right. And then one little mention of Gary Busey, and I'm in the (laughs) (laughs) doghouse. We got to get out of here. It's so true. We're done talking about this. Now we're just jabbering. We left the subject so long ago. I know it. But I hope that y'all love them as much as I do. I'm like searching my brain for people to write a play about them and so right. I can produce it and right. <laughs> take it to Broadway <laughs> where they belong, damn it. Yeah. Um, but please reach out and tell us what you think about this this episode and what you thought about the Walkers and Burt Williams. And if you have opened up your heart to 1910s music, <laughs> it's right. a little hard to get into, but <laughs> <laughs> it has its charm. Uh huh. Maybe I was so we we got the swing revival, but when did we get like the 1910s like old timey? I know, right? Where's the talking vaudeville revival? Yeah, I'm I ready. I don't know. I'm, I'm ready. We just need some bold band to put out one album. I guess there's kind of a variety show. You could say like late night shows are sort of our vaudeville revival. No, I'm talking about the music specifically. Oh, I see. I see. Like, I want somebody to do mm-hmm. an album, like, you know. Some... We go high and yeah. we go on all the Piano. Yeah. Come on. I somebody do oh, it. Okay. Bring I'm... it back. I will listen at least once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least once. That's probably <laughs> why they haven't done it yet. Time. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that won't pay for uh... recording. But yeah, please reach out. Let us know what you thought about these episodes and who you think we should tackle next. Right. Um, our email address is ridicromance at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. I'm at Diana Might. Boom. And the show is at Romance. Don't forget to hit us up with a review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Rate us on Spotify. Uh, tell all your friends to listen to the show. We miss them. We want them here with us. That's right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you all in the next one. Love you. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.